I absolutely love the word yes. In fact, Charlene and I have six grandkids who really like the word yes. They expect us as grandparents to say yes, regardless the question. Now, I can tell you right now, it's about 80-20. 80% yes, but there's the 20% we have to say no, but uh, we're not going to talk about the no today. I love the word yes. I love being able to say, yes, you can come to grandma and grandpa's house for an overnight. Yes, we can go out for ice cream. Yes, you can, we can go on a trip together. I, I just love the word yes. Yes is one of those simple words that brings delight. Yes is a word that brings promise. Yes is a word that brings hope. Yes is one of those words that brings relief. Several years ago, theologian and author Scott McKnight wrote a book entitled A Fellowship of Differences. The subtitle was Showing the World God's Delight for Life Together. One of his chapters is entitled Space for Yes. And he begins that chapter with quoting 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, where we read, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. McKnight follows that verse with this thought. Jesus is God's grandest yes of all his yeses. If you want to know what God thinks of you, Look to Jesus, for in Jesus, God says to the entire world, yes. If Jesus is God's grandest yes, and I agree with Dr. McKnight in that conclusion, I want to submit to you this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's grandest display of yes. I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles, whether it's a pew Bible, whether it's your iPad or your iPhone, however form you have it, take your Bible and find the Gospel of Matthew, the very first Gospel in the New Testament, and then go to the very last chapter, Matthew 28. And I want you just to listen as I read this chapter and, and set up our time to today as we look at God's grandest yes, the resurrection. Matthew writes, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. They ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, 
Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the, the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep him out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this, is the sto this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One can only imagine that the time between the death and burial of Jesus until that first appearance of the living Jesus was a heart-wrenching, emotionally taxing, painful, and fearful time. You see, those who were closest to Jesus, they, were, they had, as it were, put all of their eggs in his basket. You know, they had invested everything in Jesus. And, and his enemies were so afraid that the, his promise to defeat death would not happen, but that somehow the disciples would try to make it seem like it happened. And in fact, just before the passage I read, at the very end of Luke 27, we have this. In verses 62 to 65 we have the, uh, of chapter 27, we have the, the chief priests and, and Pharisees going to Pilate, and, and they're saying, you know, we remember that, that, that he said he would rise again, so allow us, give us the order to seal the tomb and, and place a guard. And so Pilate gave them that permission. Now we'll talk about it here in a minute. I've come to, and, and a lot of reading I've done to realize that there were two types of guards that could have been there. There were Roman soldiers that could have been there, but the Pharisees had control over, and the chief priests over the temple guard. They were not necessarily Roman soldiers. I believe it was the temple guard that Pilate gave permission to be there. We'll see why in a minute. But, but just imagine for a minute just that Saturday. Good Friday is over. He's been, Jesus has been crucified. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, some of the women went and wrapped his body in spices and laid him in a tomb, and then the stone was rolled over. Later on, the soldiers come, and they put the seal on this tomb, probably the seal of Pilate. That's the permission they gave, and that tomb is sealed. You can't open it without permission. Imagine Saturday, and imagine the darkness, and imagine the fear. Somehow their minds are clouded. They forgot 
what Jesus had said, that he would raise from the dead. It's hard in that moment to believe that. It's hard in that moment to really hold on to that. You'll notice in the passage I read, two statements made. One by the angels, one by Jesus. The statement is, fear not, don't be afraid. In his last discussion with his disciples before his death, Jesus told them, the Holy Spirit is one day going to indwell you. And just before he ascends, that we'll see in a minute, in heaven, Jesus reminds them he's with us always. And so the reminder and the first yes of resurrection that I see today is simply this. The resurrection of Jesus says, yes, you can have courage. Don't be afraid. The living Jesus, after he greeted the women, he said, don't be afraid. The resurrection, the yes of resurrection says you can have courage. We can have courage to face whatever we face because we serve a Jesus who is alive, who has defeated death. Jesus is God's yes And God's yes is yes. In a living and risen Jesus Christ, you will find the courage you need for the moment in which you need it. When you put your trust in the living, risen Jesus Christ, you can make it, regardless of the trial. I begin to reflect on people that I have been with over the years that have shown that courage. I have seen that courage in the response of one who has been given just days to live. And when anyone came to her bedside, they walked away being ministered to by her because she had courage in Christ. She knew that she would be seeing him. I have stood by a young widow at the casket of her departed husband And watched her as she, that day forward, moved ahead in God's courage with the yes promise that she would see her husband again and took God's strength to rear her children. I have seen that courage. And a young man walked into my office one day many years ago who confessed to me that he had sinned, that he had walked away from his wife. They had been divorced for six years, and I saw God's yes, and that young man reached back out to his ex-wife, apologized to her, and weeks later they walked in, and we began working on putting that marriage back together. God's yes gave him the courage to do what was right. I have seen God's courage, God's yes, in a former Satanist high priest who rejected it all, who gave his life to Jesus and at great risk to his own life was publicly baptized after his salvation. And I remember, because I was there helping, holding the towel, when he came up out of the baptistry, he had worn a t-shirt, and through that t-shirt was this huge tattoo of a dragon in living color that he had, and he said, that's my past, and I don't want anybody to see it as, uh, I don't want it to be the, 
the focal point. I saw the change in his life. I've seen the courage of God, the yes of God in people who have made the choice to speak God's truth to power and have suffered the cost of rejection and loss. And you know, all of those people that I have seen and know personally, they would tell you that courage didn't come from somewhere deep inside. That courage didn't come from some kind of mental uh, power that they had. That courage came from their relationship with a living, risen Jesus Christ as they clung to him. You notice Matthew tells us that when Jesus appeared to the women and when they saw him, they clasped him. They clung to him. That word is a, is a very important word. It's a, it's a word that means they, they held on for dear life. It's, it's a word that says we're not going to let go. I, I laugh sometimes as I think of my, one of my grand, well, my younger grandkids that kind of hit me about right here, and we're getting ready to go. They grab a hold of my leg. They don't want to let go. They don't want Grandpa to go. It's that kind of idea. They clung to him. They didn't want to let him go. They weren't going to lose him again. Their weekend had been the epitome of hopelessness and fear, and now that they saw him, he's not getting away easy. You see, they had been asking a question that sometimes you and I ask when we struggle. We may have courage. We may feel like some courage, but then we still struggle. Is there any hope for the future? Is there anything that will help me move forward into tomorrow? And in that moment, I think they learned our second powerful message today. The resurrection of Jesus says, yes, there is hope. I know somebody could counter with a cry and have before, but Pastor Scott, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea the mess I've made of my life. You have no idea how much I've failed. So is there really hope for me? In other Gospels, we see the angel saying, go tell his disciples and Peter. Author Max Lucado says that the resurrection reminds us that failure is not fatal. No one failed Jesus more than the apostle Peter. Everybody ran out on him. That, That was part of what happened. Judas betrayed him. We know that. But what made Peter's failure more egregious was that he was so blatantly boisterous about the fact that he wouldn't fail Jesus. He was so blatant about saying, even if everybody else turns away from you, I won't. He was so blatant in saying, I will die with you. Peter said if he was the only one left, he would die with Jesus. And Jesus had warned him, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. But Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you knew me three times. And just as he did, as he promised, Peter followed through with his denial. 
three times. The first time, I don't know him. The second time, a little more angry about it. The third time, swearing, I don't know him. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that after the third time when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at him and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter had failed miserably. And the moment when he should have stood up, the moment when he should have stood up for Christ, the moment when he should have taken a risk, he thought of himself and he went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine what Saturday was like for Peter? Can you imagine the depth of his depression? Can you see him spending sleepless night on Friday and a sleepless night on Saturday replaying over and over and over and over again in his mind his denial, hoping beyond hope that maybe he would wake up and it was all a bad dream? And that's why I so love Mark 16, 7 that I just mentioned. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's risen from the dead. Luke's gospel says that he met personally with Simon Peter in Luke 24, 34. Can you imagine what that meeting was like? Peter, I forgive you. Peter, I still have plans for you. Peter, your failure wasn't fatal. The Apostle Paul confirms that meeting in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and then in that tender story at the end of the Gospel of John, when Peter has decided he's throwing it all in, he's going out fishing, and Jesus calls he and the disciples back to the shore, and then he turns to Peter and three times Peter denied him, so three times Jesus invites Peter back into relationship. And it was Peter that led the movement of the church as it started in Acts. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says to Peter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ says to you, yes, there's hope. But there's more that the resurrection of Jesus Christ says. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says, yes, you can be forgiven. We serve a forgiving God. We don't have to wait until the cross to see about a forgiving God. We can go back to Psalm 103, verse 12. Where God says, where the David writes of God and says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve, but removes them as far as the east is from the west. East and west never meet. You see, if I charge out of here today and I start heading north and I just keep going north, and keep going north, there comes a point where I'm going to all of a sudden start going south. Because when I hit the North Pole and go beyond it, I start going south. But if I leave here today and I start going east, and I, go, I circumnavigate the world going east, when I come back this way, I'm still headed east. If I turn around and go west, when I circumnavigate the world, when I come back, I'm still going west. East and west never Meet And God says, I remove your sins as far as the east is 
from the West. The crucifixion was the sacrificial act of Jesus to pay with his life for your sins and my sins so that we could receive and embrace the forgiveness of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, God says, yes, you are forgiven. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ validated everything that he taught. Resurrection says, yes, you can be forgiven. Some of us struggle with this thing called faith. We're practical people. We need to see evidence. We need to see, we need to see it right there in front of us. Uh, some of us need facts. Some of us need the rationalism of a scientific age. Like we saw last Sunday, you may say, I need experience. I need to make my own decisions. I need to draw my own conclusions. God knows that. So God gives us what we need. I don't need, have time today to go into all of it, but if you need evidence, the, the evidence of the resurrection is great and undeniable. Matthew's account just gives us one story. I already set it up. The religious leaders, they go to Pilate, right? And they say, this deceiver said that he's going to raise from the dead, and we kind of think his disciples are going to uh, try to make it happen, so... Let us put a guard in front of the tomb and, and can we get your seal on it so that, you know, it, it makes it all legal. I, I kind of think, part of me kind of thinks Pilate was pretty much done with the religious leaders. I mean, it, it had been a rough couple of days for him. But he allows them to do that. And, and Matthew tells us, while the guards are there, they're standing guard. They're, they're, you know, maybe have their spears there. Maybe one of them is kind of walking back and forth and turning and then walking back this way. And, you know, and they're doing their guard thing. All of a sudden, an angel appears. Now, other than my wife, I've never seen an angel, okay? Uh, an angel appears. And it says his clothes were like, as white as snow. It says it was like lightning. And these guards, and I'm sure they'd been working out. I'm sure they had ripped abs and, you know, the tries and everything else. They shook and became like dead men. They fainted. They fainted at the sight of the angel. And the angel goes to this other passages tell us the angel goes and he rolls the stone away. Here he says, the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. They came. The women were wondering, how are we going to get in there? Now, that, that's a pretty heavy stone. Some people uh, calculate it may have weighed almost a ton. You know, the, that was huge. How are we going to get in there? The angel says, don't be afraid. He's not even here. But on the evidence side, the religious leaders, they're so afraid. The, the guards are freaking out. What do we do? So what do they do? They, they run to the Pharisees. We see that beginning in uh, verse 11. The women have come to the tomb. They realize Jesus isn't there. Then they see Jesus. They go back to tell the disciples. While that's all going on, the guards are going, we got to get out of here. We got to go cover our tracks. You know, and so the guards go and they report to the chief priest. Why the chief priest? Because that's who hired them. That's who they were responsible to. They're temple guards. And, and man, it, he's not there. What do you mean he's not there? 
Who took him? I don't know. I fainted. Sorry. I, I, I couldn't. You fainted? I fainted. I, he wasn't there. I failed. I, I blew it. Now, this is why I believe they were temple guards and not Roman guards. Roman guards would have been taken straight to execution. Roman guards admitting that they had fallen asleep on duty, execution. You, you know, even if you fell asleep, you know, no, I was just resting my eyes. I was totally alert. You don't, and so they get paid a bribe, a large sum of money. Don't worry about it. We're going to tell, make up this story that the disciples, you know, those guys that are hiding, that ran away, that are, that are in a room somewhere with the doors bolted and double bolted, shaking in their sandals. Yeah, those guys snuck out and they stole the body. Matthew says, the soldiers took the money. Boy, I'd take the money. I'd take the money and run. I'd get on a ship and head as far west in the Mediterranean as I could go. And that's the story that's been circulated. But you know what? So much of that logic is, is fallible. How did they see it was the disciples if they were sleeping? How did they see who took the body? We will go to great lengths to cover up our fear. And if that's really true, when the disciples in the book of Acts are getting flogged, why don't they just go and produce the body? Say, here, yeah, you got us, we did it. Why would they be willing to die? for a lie. Other evidence is that Jesus appeared multiple times to multiple people. Jesus let them touch him. Luke says that he appeared and he ate food in front of them. Uh, We're told that he appeared to 500 at one time. And I could go on. Suffice it to say, anybody who does an honest careful examination of the evidence has walked away with the same conclusion Jesus is alive and because Jesus is alive because Jesus defeated death Jesus says I can forgive you I have proved everything that I've done and forgiveness is available Matthew ends his gospel by telling that they did meet with him up in Galilee and, and, and there are a couple lines here that just really make me wonder. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. That's one of those little lines there that I look at and I scratch my head. You've been seeing the risen Jesus Christ. You've seen him in a variety of ways, and you're still doubting. And you know what? That's the human condition sometimes. But the point that I think is so important here is the final yes of the resurrection. The resurrection says, yes, you have a purpose. You see, maybe today you've already put your faith in Jesus. Maybe today is a day you celebrate and you're as excited about it as I am. 
Maybe today you hear it all again and you've heard it all over again. You've heard it repeatedly and and you're saying, what's possibly new for me here today? And I would say today, resurrection says, yes, you have a purpose. All too often, we kind of get into a rut. We kind of go through the motions of life. We get up, go through a little morning routine, go to work, come home, do a few things, watch a little TV, go to bed, get up, do it all again tomorrow. Sometimes you throw a hobby in there. Sometimes you have maybe a club that you're a part of. But life gets relatively mundane. And I, for one, think that God has so much more for us. Matthew says Jesus called the eleven to a mountain in Galilee. They already know who he is. There's all the evidence, all the experience, everything they've had over the past three years comes right there to fruition. And Jesus gives them an assignment. And it's not just their assignment. It's our assignment. Jesus starts by saying, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So Jesus reminds them of who he is. I am, I am God. I am God the flesh standing before you. I have all authority. Paul would write in Colossians 1 that he's the creator of the active agent in creation, but he also sustains. He holds this universe together. All authority has been given to me, he said. I'm more than just a good teacher. I'm more than just a martyr for a cause. I'm more than the reincarnation of one of the ancient prophets. I have complete and total authority. Authority is a term that reflects power and control. And I have all authority, total authority, in heaven and on earth. You can't go anywhere and be outside of the realm of the authority of Jesus. So you may want to listen up. There may be something here that's important. And he says, therefore go. Let me get a little technical with you here. That's a participial phrase. I like the translation, as you are going. As you are going, he says, make disciples. Of whom? Of all nations. God is inclusive. All means all. No one is to be left out. And don't see this as just a passage limited to people who who go out and serve in cross-cultural ministry somewhere around the world. No, this is a passage for every single one of us. As you are going to work, as you are going to the gym, as you are going to school, as you're going to meet with your family today and have a big meal, as you're going to your neighborhood, as you're going to grandma's house, as you're going to get your oil changed, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going about your daily life as one who says, yes, I follow Jesus, 
then you are to be going actively looking for ways that you can live Jesus in front of others so that maybe you'll have the opportunity to tell them why you follow Jesus and begin the process of making disciples. A disciple is not just the eleven. A disciple is anybody who follows Jesus. The the word disciple means follower. You and I are to be about the process of making followers of Jesus, of connecting with others so that they can see Jesus in us. That's evidence. And spending time with the others so they can see how we live out Jesus. That's experience. So that they may want to follow him as well because they see the difference he makes in our life. But it's so much more than then getting somebody to pray a little prayer on the back of a piece of paper that you have or a pamphlet. Jesus says, make disciples, bring people into my kingdom, share with them what I've done, and then baptize them. Baptizing means placing into. It means helping them to see what does it mean to become part of God's family. And when they're placed into God's family, through their prayer, through their receiving of Jesus, when they're placed into God's family, as we do back here sometimes, when people are baptized and give a public profession of their faith, showing that Jesus has changed them, then teach them. Oh, okay, there you got me, Pastor Scott. I am not a teacher. I could never do what you do. I don't want you to do what I do because I want to keep doing what I do. But <laughs> I, could, I can't, yes, you know what? Everybody in one way, shape, or form is a teacher. You teach by the way you live. You teach by example. Some of you may have a position at work where you have people that work under you. You go to a special training to help make your your. Uh, depart better and you come back what do you do you share the training what you just taught you teach by you you teach by word you teach by deed yeah it's important do you know what you believe can you help another person grow into what they believe that's one of the things we can work on right here but our goal should be to always help somebody else grow in christ No matter their background, no matter their education, no matter their experience, we can do it. Why? Why would you say that, Pastor Scott? I don't have training. I don't have that. We can do it because we don't do it alone. Jesus said, remember, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Only a living, risen Jesus Christ can say, I am with you always. I'm with you through the difficult times. I'm with you through the good times. I'm with you when you have questions. I'm with you when you find answers. I'm with you when you struggle, and I'm with you when you succeed. And my question for each of you today, for anyone in my hearing today, is simply this. Have you said yes to Jesus? His invitation is very, very simple. He invites each of us to put our faith in him as the Son of God, crucified, buried, risen again, and to receive his forgiveness for our sins. He invites us to follow him, 
to grow in relationship with him. And every one of us are somewhere on that continuum. You see, some have uttered a simple prayer of faith to God, admitting that they know they're sinners separated by God, and they ask God to forgive them through Jesus, and they submit themselves to God. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do today. Others have followed another path to Jesus, and they've taken time to study the Bible, to read it. They've asked God, would you show me who you are through your word? And they found that God is there. Some have found that they've just journeyed through life and they realize in the process that they've grown to believe who Jesus claimed to be. But the bottom line is the Bible tells us it's very simple. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, I believe in my hearing today there are categories of people. Some that have already come into faith. And my prayer for you today is that you're still growing, you're still maturing, you're still learning to know him more. I, I know I've shared this with you before, but you know, I, I feel like a, a friend of mine from many years ago. He was a, a tall, big guy, had a deep voice, stood up to preach at our church back in Indiana, held up his Bible, and he said, Every time I open this book, I feel like an old sea captain who put out the depth, chart, the depth line and it ran all the way to the end. And he went back to his log and he wrote, deeper yet. You know, the more I study this word, the more I realize I need to study. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I realize I need to learn. And if you say, I've already put my faith in Jesus, I hope that every day is a day of growing. Some of you might be hearing me today and, and you've heard the message of God's love and, God, and, and, and you've heard about a faith relationship by him, in him and you've heard about it, but maybe today you're saying, okay, today is the day I need to act on what I heard. I pray that you would and come into a faith relationship with Jesus. And some might be hearing me today and saying, you know, this is really good. Man, you, you, get, you have a lot of energy up there. And it's good stuff and all, but I don't think it's for me. It just doesn't work for me. And my prayer for you is that you would just give careful thought to the fact that God's message is constant. That he loves you. And he's waiting for you to turn to him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the grandest display of God's yes. Through his burial and resurrection, Jesus has already said, Yes to you. And he wants you to say yes to him. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ tells us, yes, God loves you. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate today says, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're reminded that not only yes does God love you, but yes, he always will. God has shown us yes. And he invites us to say yes to him. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this day in which we celebrate resurrection. Thank you for the yes of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be people who have responded or who will respond yes to you and bring glory and honor to your name. We celebrate a living, risen Jesus Christ 
who gives us courage and hope, who reminds us that we're forgiven, and who points us to a grander purpose of bringing others to follow him. Thank you for the yes of resurrection today. In Jesus' name, amen.